going to be back. I'm just hoping that Chris is right, that he's coming back uh, energized. He might come back exhausted. Have you thought about that? Okay. We're in uh, Revelation, and uh, we're going to go a little bit longer than usual, but that's okay because we're going to feed you, so you don't have any reason to have to get out of here. Uh, We're at Revelation. This is our third time in Revelation uh, following the outline that uh, I've been given. And last time and the time before, we basically had a little introduction as to what this is. This book is not about judgment to come. This book is about the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what this is all about. And today we are in chapter 4, just 11 verses not too complicated, uh, but before we get there, I uh, want to have a little reflection time. Now, you have a little assignment for you to do here. I want you to think about the most extraordinary, shocking, amazing event that you have ever been exposed to. I want you to think about an experience you've never experienced before, something you know nothing about, and it engaged your multiple senses. That's your assignment for the next couple of minutes. I'll give you a couple of hints. Maybe it was the first time that you flew on an airplane. You won't put that up. And you landed at night over some major city in the U.S. And it just overwhelmed you. Maybe you've had that experience. You get your own. Get it in your head. Uh, maybe when you were a kid, somebody took you to a 4th of July uh, celebration and you saw for the first time in your life fireworks and they went all over everywhere. You were, you were absolutely, totally blown away by this. It just enveloped everything about you. Or maybe it was a place. Maybe you went to the Grand Canyon and the first time you went to the Grand Canyon and you looked over the Grand Canyon, it just filled your senses with wonder, with amazement. I remember going to the Grand Canyon for the first time and a thunderstorm broke out. And I stood there looking at the Grand Canyon and thunder and lightning going on. It was just, was overwhelming. Or maybe it was something a little more like this. Uh, In 1996, I got to go to the pastors at Promise Keepers in the Atlanta Dome. 39,000 pastors gathered there. And we sang together, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And, I mean, it was just one of those things where you're just overcome. Are you getting your own experience here? You you know what yours is now? Okay, maybe it's something else. Uh, Back in 1999, we were living in Budapest, Hungary, and we had the opportunity to be exposed to a total eclipse of the sun, something I had never seen before. 40 miles south of Budapest, Sekesvahervar, Hungary. Uh, We had some friends who lived there. They invited us to their house. And that's what happened in the middle of the afternoon. Absolute, total blackness. We were shocked, as you can see in this next picture of my wife, who is shocked. (laughs) So do you have yours? Something that absolutely, totally amazed you. Okay, we can go to the next slide. Because John is given an invitation. This is an invitation that he has never received before. This is an invitation about something he has never known anything about. This is an invitation that is going to overwhelm his senses in every way. Just like the biggest event that you've ever experienced. Last time we talked about people who were overcomers. This 
is about people who are overwhelmed by God. So get ready for this because John is invited to enter heaven. Here it is, chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet and it said, come up here. Now I have no idea what kind of an experience this was for John. Was he, was his, he was out of his body? I don't know. Was this some kind of a vision that he had? I don't know. It was more than a dream. I, I don't know. I can't picture this for him, but he is invited to come into heaven somehow. And the reason for the invitation is given to him in the next part of the verse. I will show you what must take place after this. Now, the main focus of this is not about what he sees in heaven. The main focus of this is about how Jesus is going to be revealed as the Lord God Almighty. We're going to spend a lot of time with that next week. But this is something very unique for John, an invitation to come to the throne room of God and see what will happen. Now, before we do this, before we do this, you have to understand, John has no understanding of anything like this. Imagine getting invited to go see that place. And you look and say, what in the world is that? Well, that is the figment of one of my kids' imaginations. That's their computer game called Riven. But imagine having to go there and then describe it to somebody where you were and what you saw. Because that's going to be John's problem as he goes to heaven through this open door. Now, I know some of you said, yeah, well, because I played that game Riven, and so I really understand that. I could explain that to everybody. So I'm giving you something this morning for which you will be required to sign a paper that you did not see this. I have a screenshot from the newest game, which my kids are designing right now, which is not for publication. You want to put this up? This is another world. You saw it right here. The game is called Abduction. It'll be out soon. Not that you should go buy it. We don't care. <laughs> you look at that and you say, oh, I see something back there, kind of a funny-looking dome or something, but I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Now you know how John feels. He's going to heaven, and he doesn't have any basis for understanding what he is about to experience. So he's going to tell us what he sees. All right? And we're going to have a struggle with this. The first thing that John sees are four, and I don't know what to call this, four beings, four creatures, four things, four groups of people or somethings, four somethings. And the first something he sees is verse 2, Someone who sits on a throne. I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne stood in heaven and seated on the throne was someone. Now, I almost hesitate to put these silly pictures up here that I've stolen offline. Because John didn't give us any pictures. And I have no idea if this is what he saw. And you don't have any idea either. But he got there and he saw something. And this is the best description that he can give, okay? He doesn't even say it looks like a person. 
The best he comes up with is that there's a lot of colors involved in it. And the colors he expresses in verse 3. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And we don't even know. Carnelian, what in the world is that? So there are the colors, so say people on the internet, of Carnelian and Jasper. So get this picture. He sees something, a throne in heaven, and it's strange jeweled colors all around it. There is a second part to this vision in heaven, and that is the existence of 24 elders. This is going to get worse as we go on, so just get ready. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Everybody wants to know, who are these 24 elders? I don't know, you don't know, and John didn't explain it. Most people seem to think, well, since they're clothed in white remnant, they must be ID'd as redeemed people who have now come to heaven and sit around the throne of God. But nobody knows. Some people have said, well, there's 24 of them, because back in 1 Chronicles 29, David set up the worship in the temple on earth with a series of 24 groups. This represents those 24 groups. I don't know. John doesn't know. He doesn't tell us. Some people say, well, these are 12 authoritative older elders who come from the Old Testament time and 12 New Testament disciples. That's nice if you want to hold to that one. John doesn't say, we don't know. All we know is that there are 24 somethings seated on some kind of thing that looks like a throne around this throne that's filled with this color of rich browns and reds. Then it gets more complicated. Verse 5. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, John likes this. He uses this seven spirits of God four times in the Revelation. That's the only place it appears. What are these torches? This was somebody's idea that somehow there are seven flames out there. Let me give you a possibility that this is a lampstand. You're familiar with the menorah, the lampstand of the Old Testament. John has already referred to the lampstand when he talked about the seven churches. He said the seven churches are seven lights, seven lampstands. Some people say the seven represents the fullness of God. I don't know. You don't know. John doesn't say. But this is what is going on. This is what he sees. Now you understand the difficulty of this. Now you know what it means to have your senses coming, blowing out of your head like, what is this? This is a tremendous experience for him. And here's the worst part. There are four creatures there. Verse 6, around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings with eyes all around them and within. That would give you a nightmare. (laughs) 
I mean, imagine this. This is what he sees. This is the best he can do to try and explain to you, this is what I see. Now, frankly, that is similar to what Ezekiel describes in chapter 1 and chapter 10. I prefer this picture. It's a little blurry, not real clear, but maybe this better explains what we see here. We don't even know what these creatures are supposed to do, except they do worship in the throne room. And maybe the worship is represented by all these creatures of earth. We have an eagle, a bird that flies. We have an ox that is a domesticated animal. We have a lion that is a wild animal. And we have a human that has, uh, you know, we are. So maybe all, everything is worshiping God. Maybe, with that, maybe that's what this picture is. Maybe this picture is of these four creatures who direct activity somewhere in this whole program that's going to be revealed by John. We don't know for sure. Maybe it has the strength of a lion, what's coming. Maybe it has the, the wisdom of man and the rationale of man. Maybe it has the swiftness of the eagle in flight. We don't know. All we know is John gets in the throne room, never been there before. His mind is slightly askew now. The same kind of a feeling you have at those amazing experiences And he sees these four beings, the throne sitter, the 24 elders, the lampstand, and these four strange creatures. So also is what is around the throne. It says in verse 3, around the throne was a rainbow. It had the appearance of an emerald. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. This is a light and sound show for which he has no comparison. Imagine this. Imagine just what he tells us. What happens when you're driving down a road and suddenly you see a rainbow? You, you stop the car. You pull over to the side, I've got to get a picture of this. Look at this amazing rainbow. Well, that's what he sees, a rainbow all around the throne room. And what happens when you see a mountain and a lake and that perfect reflection underneath of it of that mirror crystal lake? Well, you, you, you got to pause and look at this. This grabs our attention. And then finally, the lightning and the flashing. Man, I spent some time in New Mexico, and there were occasions when we'd be out in those high plains late at night, and the lightning and the flashing would come. You couldn't drive. You couldn't do anything. You just had to stay there in awe and watch this. John is overwhelmed. You like that word? He is overwhelmed by what happens in the throne room. And what happens now is worship in this throne room. Now, we all have our own idea of what it means to worship. Maybe that means to sing a song. Maybe that means to get down on your face before God. This is the worship that comes from the throne room. Starts out with the worship of the four creatures. Verse 8. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This does not cease. This goes on 24-7. First, we better deal with that. It does not cease. This is not a special performance for John. 
This is not something that God said, hey, I'll put this on for you, John, let you take a good look at this. This seems to be the overwhelming experience that maybe we're going to have as well. This does not cease. Now, I mean, I couldn't imagine this for the life of me. What do you mean it doesn't cease? The four living creatures are just there and they just constantly keep doing this and they just constantly keep doing it. Have you ever been to Yellowstone? Been to Yellowstone? You've been to Old Faithful? Old Faithful is, uh, we got the Old Faithful slide there? There we go. The old, uh, Yellowstone, Old Faithful erupts between uh, 30 minutes and uh, two hours every, all the time, 24-7. It just keeps doing it. And it erupts for maybe uh, five minutes to, or three minutes to five minutes, depending on the eruption time is when the next scheduled eruption is. And, and if you've ever been to Yellowstone, you've ever been to Faithful, they post when the eruption is going to take place. And what happens when they post when the eruption, when the eruption is going to take place, when the place is full of tourists? Everybody comes, everybody comes together, around, together, around, and then poosh, there it is. So maybe that helps you with the picture of these creatures. They never cease doing this. I don't know what the schedule is. I don't know when they post it. John doesn't tell us. But this doesn't stop in heaven. These four living creatures just keep worshiping God. And let's go back to uh, verse 8 where it says, They do this saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Set apart, set apart, set apart. A trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is the one who is and who will be and who was. I like this because John's going to tell you and tell me who Jesus is. This is about Jesus. My paraphrase, the one who has always been, is now, and is about to be revealed in a new way. John is overwhelmed in heaven. And when the four living creatures do this, then the 24 elders respond. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever, the four creatures appear just like an old faithful. And when they do, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. Can you imagine this? Every now and then the creatures decide now. And they begin this process. And the 24 elders first stand up. They're seated. They stand up. As anyone would do when someone of greatness walks into the room. When a president walks into the room, the highest ranking people still stand up. The elders all stand up. And then they worship. They get down on their face. I don't know what that means. You know, when I was a kid, we lived across the street from uh, a Roman Catholic church. My, my folks didn't go to Roman Catholic church, but my next-door neighbor did. And they used to take me over there. And I used to go to church with them. And you know what we used to do in that Roman Catholic church that really impressed me? We used to get down on our knees. Everybody got down on their knees. 
And we didn't do that in the church that I went to. And I thought, wow, there's something about getting down on your knees. That's what these elders do. These elders stand up and they get down on their knees. They get thing, I think, they get down on their faces. And then it says they cast their crowns. This is not taking their crown off and throwing it at, at the throne sitter. This is about removing their crown in honor of who this throne sitter is. The one who is now, who was, and who is about to be revealed in a way never before seen. They are overwhelmed. And this is what they say, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, we heard most of those words before, except the new ones now. You created all things. This is to God who made it all. This is to God who controls it all. Back in August, the Spokesman Review published a little article. I, I still read this paper. I, I don't know why. It, it's so bad. <laughs> and, it, and it was a review of a new course that's going to be offered at Eastern Washington University. They're going to be teaching students how the aliens came and influenced humanity. I don't think so. But maybe... It's your choice. This one says, God did this. And this is the God who stands before us. What a great picture. I, I had to ask myself, what's the purpose of this? And what am I supposed to get out of a picture of heaven like this? So I came up with three things. John didn't give them to us. I get to do this. James said I could do anything with these passages. <laughs> Here's the first one. I love this because it's a lesson to me about how many things I don't know. And every now and then, I need that lesson. I need to be reminded of what I don't know. I want to be overwhelmed by what I don't know. Some of the best things that ever happened to me in my life were experiences where I didn't know. I'll tell you one real quick. Back in 1988, I think it was, <clears throat> I got a chance to go to China. <clears throat> I was working with placing missionaries in, in countries that, that couldn't be have missionaries sent to them. They were restricted access countries, and we were putting people in different countries of the world in their career skills. And I got to visit some of these people, and on a tour that included Japan and Taiwan, I ended up in China to go to three different cities. And the third city was Beijing, the capital. And I got to Beijing, and by then, I was feeling like I am really in the know. <laughs> these are back in the days before China was open. 
and I found myself in a hotel that I wasn't supposed to be in. It was only for uh, Europeans. It was not for Americans. This has been China when they had special money for foreigners who came. You couldn't even spend the regular money. And the connect that I was supposed to have in Beijing, China, was not able to get together with me. And so I ended up with a couple of days free. So I thought, well, I need to do something. And, and in the hotel, there was a little brochure written in English of all the crazy things. And it showed a picture of a place called the Temple of the Moon, I think it was. And it looked like you could go there. And so I went outside. There were taxi cabs outside. And I showed this taxi cab driver the Temple of the Moon here. And he, and so I got in the cab and he drove me to the Temple of the Moon. And I thought, this is really great, you know. Here I am in China, I'm in Beijing, China. I got this whole thing under control. We got to the Temple of the Moon. He stopped the car and he indicated that there, okay, I figured that out, you know. And so I got out of the car and I told him bye. And he said, no, he didn't want to go. Well, I, you know, I've had that experience where, well, a taxi cab, he wants to wait, but you're going to pay dearly if you just have him wait. Well, I know better than that. I'm smarter than this guy. Yeah, you go, you go. I just, you know, you know, go, go, go. And he kept insisting. He was adamant. He did not want to go. Like, go, go. So he drove away. And I went and toured, understanding absolutely nothing of the Temple of the Moon. Nothing. I understood nothing. I didn't know. Oh, it was really neat. Wow, this is neat. And when I was all done my tour, I came back out to the street where I had gone in, and I thought I'd just hail a cab. In 1988, there was no such thing as hailing a cab on the street. There were no cabs on the streets for hailing. I thought, I got a problem. I don't know where I am. And I'm in China. And I have to somehow get out of here. I like those experiences, you know. Fortunately, I had that little brochure, and it had this ridiculous little map on it. It showed where my hotel was, but it wasn't to scale. And this was long before phones or any of that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, if I just follow these streets, maybe I'll get to the hotel. And I started walking, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked. And I saw lots of Beijing, China that most tourists never get to see. And when I got to the hotel, I found somebody who spoke English, and I asked him about that. He said, oh, you can only get a taxi at the hotel. Taxis don't pick up people on the street. You know, if only somebody had told me that before. <laughs> you know, I look at all the technology we have today, and it almost looks to me like we think we're junior gods in control. I mean, my family's fun. You ask any question, and immediately, their iPhones all come out. Here's the answer to your question. I think John said, why don't you take a look at heaven? You're going to be overwhelmed. Because there's a whole lot you don't understand. And here's the second reason why I think this picture is so significant. And that is the fact that if I become an overcomer, I'm going to have this experience of being overwhelmed. This is, this is going to be far more than the greatest experience any of us have ever had on this earth. It's going to be better than the fireworks. It's going to be better than the Grand Canyon. It's going to be better than any of these things. 
As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This is what he said. It is written, what, eye has no, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Did you get that one? What, what you can even imagine. You cannot even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. You know, that's better than my kids who design games and worlds. There is something that is going to overwhelm us. God said, here's the picture of heaven. Get ready. And there's a third part as to why I think this picture is here. And that is because every now and then, we need to have a little joy of anticipation. I live with my wife, Barbara. She's got this anticipation thing all figured out. You don't tell my wife, we're going to go out for dinner tonight at 6 o'clock and then cancel. No way. No way. She will make it clear. Part of the joy is anticipation. Hey, I don't feel that way, but... I think she's right. I know my kids get that way at Christmas time. It's the anticipation. And John said, let me explain this to you. God has something that is so amazing to us, we're not even able to imagine it. This is the joy of anticipating it. This is going to overwhelm us even though we read it now and say, you know, I really don't totally understand it. It's the joy of the picture of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are days when uh, I need to read these 11 verses. There are days when we get discouraged. There are days when we feel a little defeated by the news around us. There are days, Lord, when things don't go right at work, when they don't go right at school, when things don't go right even with marriages and families. We need to read these verses because what is ahead is the most unbelievable, overwhelming, fantastic experience that we can even possibly imagine. Thank you, Father. And what a joy it will be to see Jesus, who has always been, who is now, and will one day be fully revealed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In his name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?